Hey there, Freedom Fighters. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. Joining me is another guy who, guess what? Interviews entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. John Lee Dumas has been doing this for, what, over 3,000 interviews. I just discovered that in your book. I didn't realize you crossed that milestone. 3,000. Yeah. Let me see if I remember from the book. 2012, I think you said, is when you started? September 2012. Look at that. <laughs> you know, my wife is constantly reading and she, believe it or not, she's on me for not reading enough. I tell her, I, you just don't see it. I could read books so much faster and I retain things. Anyway, um, and one of the things that I liked about John is that he had me as one of his first guests on his podcast when he was getting started. I've also just enjoyed getting to know him over the years. He's built a business where he teaches other entrepreneurs about podcasting. He's got a book now where he is talking about how he built his business and what you can learn from his experience. It's called The Common Path to Uncommon Success. I invited him here to talk. Frankly, I'll be honest with you guys. I invited him because I like him. He said, I got a book. I said, come on, let's get on here. We'll talk and we'll figure out a way to talk up the book. And I'm sure that... Uh, You've got an interesting way of promoting the book. I should say this interview is sponsored by two phenomenal uh, sponsors. The first, if you're out there listening to us and you're inspired by this, you want to start a business, want to publish your website, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. And of course, if you already have a site, bring it to Hostgator. They'll take good care of you. And the second is a company you don't know about. It's called Zopto. I'm actually hoping John and I could talk about how I could do a better job promoting them. They're all about getting leads from LinkedIn, but we'll talk about those later. John, good to have you here. I am fired up to be here, brother. Every time we get to hang out, it's always a blast. Even when we get to hang out on cruise ships, circa 2015 podcast Paradise Cruise. I, that's where I feel I feel like I really got to know you and I yeah. understood cruises. You're basically just forced to stay with the same group of people for days <laughs> and then you get to know them. You don't pretend you have another agenda, something more important. And you also can let go. I've seen people in shorts. I saw their hairy legs. I saw them just walk around when they're just not in the mood and you get to know them better when they're I mean, should situation. we tell the Kate Erickson surfing story real quick? Oh, uh, I don't feel comfortable with that. I told you, I got this whole Middle Eastern background. It makes me feel uh, so uncomfortable. Go ahead, tell it. <laughs> so my fiance, as of Christmas Day, Caitlin Erickson was also on that cruise. And, you know, like you said, you get to know people a little bit better. We were all in the outdoor uh, wave surfing. And Kate was up there with her shorts and her shirt on and surfing away. And she fell down, but was holding onto the board. And whoop, there go the shorts. And uh, there was just her and her birthday suit. <laughs> I'm so, do you get uncomfortable talking about that at all? No, not at all. I mean, listen, every man was a 100% gentleman and literally did an about face faster yeah. than I've seen in the army. I was an officer in the army for eight years. I would say about face and people would do it eventually. People did it like immediately. And I was like, wow, that's, and then all the, all the, all the girls that were just like, oh my God, Kate, how can we help? Like running nah. with towels and blankets and stuff. And you know, yeah, it's interesting. I was taught, I was bringing up uh, people's sexual experiences and it feels to people like oh. I can just talk about sex and get it. No, what I want to do is understand them. And if this is a part of who they are, then that's what I want to get. <laughs> but once we get into something like this, it's like Andrew becomes a 1930s housewife. Like you're gone too far, sir. You know, I remember that when we were hanging on in San Francisco and we were with a bunch of people, Jada, um, Scott Dinsmore, who unfortunately is no longer with us and some other amazing people. And you did, you went around the room and you asked uh, a question along those lines. And it was, it was a very it, revealing man. question. Yes, I did think it was real. I won't talk about what we got. Hey, here's what, what I will talk about. I didn't realize that you, you talked about your military experience. We'll get into business in a minute, but you had PTSD. I didn't realize it until I read the book. 
Bad. So I was an officer in the army for six years. Uh, well, sorry, four years active duty and then additional four years in the reserve. So a total of eight years. And for 13 of those months, I was deployed to Iraq. I was in charge of four tanks, 16 men, and it was real war. I mean, we were over there. It was war. Uh, four of my 16 soldiers did not come home. And, you know, there was definitely responsibility on my shoulders for that. And it was uh, a very emotionally traumatic period for a 23 and 24 year old. Cause I, I turned 24 while I was in Iraq and I, I paid for it, you know, not immediately, by the way, like I kind of went back to the army lifestyle and that was that. But then when I was in the civilian world, like I really saw it coming on and uh, PTSD definitely hit me hard and caused multiple bouts of depression in my mid and late twenties. Mm. And, you know, I really still feel like there's, there's some lingering effects of that. What do you mean by on my shoulders? Because Please. I was the platoon leader. Those were so it's your head. responsibility. Yeah. I said, go left. We went left and we got hit, you know, like it was my oh. decision. So it was literally like, if I had just said, go right, things could be different. And so then when you had PTSD, how did that affect you? What, what exactly happened? The biggest thing was like, I just found myself not able to concentrate on anything. Like I was in law school at the time. And when you can't concentrate in law school, forget about it, which is a, why I dropped out. Cause I just wasn't going to be able to continue going forward, but you just couldn't concentrate on anything. And like the most revealing thing that I'll share right now is like, I grew up a massive new England Patriots football fan, just born and raised in new England, went to college in new England, loved the Patriots. It was like, I was passionate about the games and I was watching one of the games and I just remember thinking so clearly to myself, I could care less who wins this mm. game. And when that realization hit me, Andrew, I was like, whoa, something is wrong up here because you used to live and die by these guys. And now you could just care less. What, where would your mind go when you weren't paying attention? Was it just, was it back to that turning to that turn or was it somewhere else or were you just in blank? Nothing matters. There was a combination of all three, to be honest. You know, sometimes I would drift back to my war experience. Sometimes, you know, I would just dwell on things that in my life weren't great. You know, if I was like dating somebody and like something small happened that would now mm -hmm. just roll off my shoulders, I would like just stress over it and focus on it and just make it so much more than it was. Again, which just wasn't me. Like, you know, before I went to like, quote unquote, war, like one of my girlfriends, you know, my previous girlfriend's biggest complaints were just like, John, like nothing phases you. Like you don't even care if I'm like making out with a guy across the bar. Like that's an exaggeration, but you know, that was kind of true in some ways where like, I just, I didn't get jealous at nothing. Like really phased me. I wouldn't, you know, engage in fights or nitty things with, with any of them because it just wasn't worth it. But then it was the opposite. Like, you know, now I'm just like every little thing, you know, like, you know, like, how could you like that? that oh, I don't even remember what it was, but I would just stress over all of those things. And I was just like, this is like the, I'm now acting the opposite of how I usually acted for the first 26 years of my life. I Now I could care less about the Patriots. I'm overboard jealous or envious or stressing out about the little things that don't matter in life and getting into arguments about nothing. And I'm like, it's literally, I'm the exact opposite person right now. And that was weird. How do you get yourself back on it? The reason that I'm asking is I just, I just had a conversation with a few entrepreneurs who, who talked about being sued. And one of them says, I find myself just getting angry at this person who's suing me and I can't disconnect my mind from it and focus. And then I get angry at myself, he said, for thinking about this lawsuit. And others started talking about how in this little group that I'm in with, started talking about how they were sued and how it becomes a distraction. 
when you have PTSD, how do you keep yourself from losing focus like that? How do you get well, yourself back from don't. PTSD? Yeah, most people don't. And I call it circling the drain of despair because that's exactly what it feels like. You're just going deeper and deeper into it because now you're in despair because you're despairing and you're mad at yourself and you're mad at them and you're mad at everybody. And it's just a bad scenario. So, I mean, some ways that I was able to get, to get, you know, over the hump, so to speak. Um, and, you know, number one is definitely time. Like it just took time. Number two was therapy. Like I definitely, you know, embraced therapy and talking to other people and like groups, et cetera. Um, I did try medication for a while, which I'm actually at this stage in my life at 41, like I was 27 then. And so I was just like, I'll try anything. And like, I wish I hadn't because I'm pretty against that for various reasons now. Although I think now um, there's some really interesting and, and a lot of really cool case studies for veterans, none of which I've tried because I just, I, I would be happy to now if I feel like I needed it, but like psilocybin and, mm -hmm. and like, I don't know much about it, but Bufo and like other things along those lines that people are, are trying to like naturally alter their state to kind of like get in their heads and, and get over what they can't get over. And I have some really good veteran friends who swear by it. And it's, it's really interesting what's happening in the veteran community with it. What's the therapy? What did therapy do? How did that help you get over this? Just talking about it and realizing that I wasn't alone and that actually what I was experiencing was was actually normal. It was unfortunate, but it was normal. Like other people were losing interest in things they used to love, you know, snapping over things that they used to not care about. And I was like, oh, okay. So now that I know that I'm just not this weird stranger, you know, on a distant lands, and but I'm actually going through what this thing PTSD actually is, at least now I can identify it. And now work with people to get over it. Got it. So talking about it, I also imagine keeps it from being bottled inside and not getting a chance. It's almost like our mind wants to think it through and we're not letting it talk it out and get it out and flush it out. I, I think about journaling and I know you've got a uh, incredible popular, incredibly popular journal. I was one of the, did I get the first version of that? Did I get to be the, the first, first version? Oh, brother. <laughs> it's, it's so beautifully done. It looks like a freaking Bible the way that you set it up. But I feel like that's the benefit that I get from journaling, that when there's something that's spinning in my head, I get to get it out, even if there's nobody there to listen. So maybe that's what I should have suggested to this entrepreneur. Just journal it out, talk it out. Journal it out, of, talk it out, surround yourself with other people who are going through the same thing so you can understand that like it's actually, it's not good that you're having these thoughts, but it's it's normal and it's natural. And it's key, but you know, I, I will say just to remind you of the the Bible goldenness of uh, the journal, <laughs> brother. So always within reach because I'm I'm a big believer. I journal every single day. It's getting the stuff in here, out there, onto the page, even if it's junk, if it's crap. I'm unloading crap and junk from my head, which is which is just as important. I wanted to do this interview roughly about how you got here, and then we'll talk about some of the ideas in the book. Um, but maybe we should start with what here is. Where are you guys revenue-wise? Revenue-wise, we actually just hit our 90th month in a row of a net profit of over $100,000. So that's wow. one thing that our business has been, is flipping consistent. And by the way, we've published 90 income reports in a row, monthly income reports. And those income reports have a fantastic tax tip from our accountants, have a legal tip from our lawyer, have details of all the things we did right this month so that we can be emulated by other people. And also all the things we did wrong this month, which happens every month too. So you can avoid our mistakes, breaks down every penny that comes in, 
plus every expense that goes out. So you can see how we actually run our business and what we spend our money on. So they're very thorough. They're very detailed. And um, we're well over $20 million in total revenue since I launched in 2012. And now that I live in Puerto Rico, I get to keep the money I made, brother. Uh, by the way, that's on eofire.com slash income. I'm on the site right now. I want to ask you a question about it. But yeah, you are in Puerto Rico because what's what are the tax laws there? I love California. California is an amazing state. San Diego was my home for five years. It's beautiful. The weather's great. The people are awesome. It is so painful to be a successful financial entrepreneur in California. I'll say to this be- with, with one little exception. Go for it. The people who are doing, um, the people who are selling companies don't suffer nearly as much, right? Their tax know. rate is considerably lower. They get to postpone when they pay taxes, right? It's Some the people, people like you. Who, taxes. Right. Yeah. So sorry that that is a, that it's a problem for me. And it's a thing that just really pisses me off that there are people who are doing, they, they make so much money, but then they pay way less percentage wise because they're just making it on uh, uh, capital gains. But it's a fantastic point. There's so many people that are building amazing companies that they know they will exit for at some point for seven, eight, nine figures, but they're not paying that in taxes now. I have a different business where I'm making $100,000 net profit a month. That means if I'm living in California, I'm spending at least 50K a month in taxes. Now, by the way, I've made six, $700,000 in a month before. Like that was a $300,000 check I wrote in one month. One month, yeah. And that's painful for the type of business that I run and that I was going to continue to run. So this was, you know, back in 2016, I had just hit my uh, third year in a row where I wrote a seven figure check to uncle Sam. And I was like, this, this could stop soon, sooner than later. It's getting painful now. So I talked to my accountant and I said, Hey, what are the legal options for me to decrease my income. And I don't want to move to Texas. No offense, Texas. Don't want to move to Nevada or Florida. It just wasn't my thing. What can I do? And he said, well, you can move to this Caribbean islands. It's called Puerto Rico. And you're not going to pay any federal tax because it's not a state. It's a territory. So they don't pay federal tax. You're not going to pay any state tax because they have an incentive program for entrepreneurs that will only pay a 4% corporate tax rate. Your total tax rate will be 4%. So I went from 51 to 4% literally the day I moved because it's immediate. The day you move, boom, you can send a, a, a letter to the California IRS and to the federal government and say, I'm out. And a letter to Puerto Rico saying, I'm in. And you literally start paying 4% that moment. So I moved to Puerto Rico back in 2016, almost immediately bought our dream home here on the Caribbean, which is this beautiful $2 million, gorgeous, panoramic Caribbean view home. Um, In 17 months, Andrew, I had saved more money in taxes than the house cost. Wow. And what about COVID now? How are you guys handling it there? Feels like we're in a little bit of a bubble down here. So I live in a gated community where there's 3,300 homes. So it's a massive community, Mm -hmm. two golf courses, 20 tennis courts, 17 restaurants, and a an equestrian center, a K through 12 academy. Wow. You name it, we have it in the community. And it's just a lot of people who are like, you know what, we're just going to hunker down. And so people have hunkered down here and we've had incredibly few cases. Um, The island is 3.5 million people. So it's not a small population. And there's a total of 214 cases on the island right now. So it's not insignificant. There are people with COVID in Puerto Rico, but 
it's pretty under control at this time. Um, and so far so good. It feels like, you know, we have people by the way that visit all the time. So I have people that have come down from Maine because that's that, where I'm yeah, from, yeah. my family. And, and they say it is such a breath of fresh air to be can down walk, here in Puerto Rico. Can you walk around, hang out with friends, be in each other's homes 100%. within your community? You can Yep, within our masks community in the house or no masks when you're with friends, no masks inside no masks. or outside. No, Oh, I didn't think of that. All right. Yeah. So yeah. the way you did it was it's content. You talk about in the book about how you decided you were going to go into audio. You're somebody who likes to just keep on cranking. I wonder lately whether we've hit peak content, peak blogging, peak Twitter, peak Instagram, peak everything that it just feels like it's hard for anyone to stand out. I'm not saying that we haven't, but I will say that I've heard that in 2012 when I launched that we were at peak content. I heard it 2016 okay. when I was midway through my current journey. And I'm hearing that today. And I'm not saying that you're wrong today or anybody's wrong today that's saying that current thing uh, because eventually somebody's going to be right, of course. You know, just like eventually somebody's going to be right about when the stock market's going to crash. It will crash at some point and that person will eventually be right. Um, it will happen. Is it now? I mean, I will say, I don't know how far you're going to get on this rabbit hole, but I do feel like a, an app like Clubhouse is really adding uh, speed to that con content saturation in a very fast way. Why? So, what Clubhouse, by the way, is uh, the app where you can just go in and talk to people within these virtual rooms. It's all audio based. Why do you think that's a lot? I think it's speeding up what that comment is that you made about potentially getting to peak saturation because. because. People only have so much time. There's 24 hours in a day. You're yeah. going to sleep, hopefully, for at least eight of those hours. You're going to hopefully be doing work for some of those hours, working out, talking to people, doing things. You have a certain amount of time each day that you can literally consume content, like a podcast, like a video show, like X, like Y, like Z. And Clubhouse is coming in right now and is taking a huge chunk of that free time that people dedicated at in the past to other platforms. Mm -hmm. Now, in six months, might we be laughing about Clubhouse as that failed experiment? Maybe. Or we may be saying, wow, look at like Facebook bought them for $10 billion and now they just blew it up to the next level. And now all people use to consume their audio content is Clubhouse. Who knows? But right now, it's legit. All right. And so you got into podcasting because you were listening to podcasts. You said, you know what? I like this thing. I've been leading. Uh, what kind of conversations did you lead in the army that made you feel like you were ready to do this? I didn't feel like I was ready to do it. I mean, when I launched a podcast, I was terrible, A. B, I was clueless. Like C, I was completely freaked out of all things that had to do with technology, microphones, mixers, you name it. So I didn't think I could do it. I mean, did I have some experience in the army where I was like having to give reports in front of five-star generals? Like, yes, that happened. So I had some perspective of being like, JLD, get over yourself. Like stop being such a little scaredy cat loser and talking to a microphone into an, into an empty room. Cause of course, when I launched, it was an empty room and going back to one of your earlier comments, actually, yes, Andrew Warner was one of my power 20, what I, which I called, you know, people that I sat down, um, like very intentionally pre-launch and said, these are my 20 dream guests. And, uh, if I sat down and made that list again, Andrew, you would still be on it. Right on. Right so, on, right. <laughs> I, I love that you, that you went back to your mentor and you said, Hey, Jamie, 
I've got to make this adjustment to, I forget what it was. It was something like, can I put this, these, these links and this margin on the left instead of on the right? I have to say, <laughs> even within your community of people who've created podcasts, I'll get stupid questions like that. That makes me uh, just want to, I, I'm not a physical person and I know it sounds cliche. It makes me want to hit them and just smack them and wake them up and say, who cares? I know what you're doing. You're postponing getting started for, for these nonsense reasons. Well, I get pretty, I get pretty bold in the book. I know you sent me one highlighted text, which, you know, is really interesting. We can maybe talk about later, but like, I just straight up call people cowards in the book. And number one, I call myself a coward because I was a hundred percent a coward. And what was I doing? I was a coward cowering behind a wall mm-hmm. of fear because I didn't want to launch my voice and my message to the world. I didn't want people to be able to make fun of me, which I knew they would. And some people did. And I didn't want that to happen because I was this fragile little flower. And so what did I do? I tried to, to hide behind the word perfectionism. Oh, but wait, I'm a perfectionist. I can't launch right now because it's not ready. I'm such a perfectionist. Mm. So many people love saying that word. And like, like you wanted to smack people in the face for the prior comments. I want to smack people in the face to say that because what really I'm hearing when they're saying I'm a perfectionist, I'm hearing I'm a coward who is unable to launch because I'm a coward. And like, that's just how I got to call it out. And by the way, I'm not pointing at people. I'm like, I'm pointing at myself too. Like that was me in 2012. And I don't want you to be that person that I was that almost didn't launch, like stop being this flippant perfectionist because perfectionism flat out sucks every time. All right. You got it. You, one of the things that I like about you and others is that you get mentors. I remember actually swimming and thinking of you saying, I wish swim every day. I think John would have gotten a trainer to help him swim <laughs> better. Um, I've been playing chess a lot more. My friend Noah Kagan got a trainer to teach him to play chess more. I sometimes feel though, like breaking that isolation that I have of me swimming on my own, breaking that isolation that I have of me in the game of chess is, is distracting. How do you not, how do you stay creative within your own experience while bringing somebody in and saying, now you yell at me when I'm not swimming, right? You tell me how I should be playing chess better. So I think you're overthinking it. And I think you're thinking about it in the wrong way. Like Mm -hmm. how I would think about the scenario that you're talking about is, and by the way, this is a great little uh, Tim Ferriss hack that I love is you want to get better at swimming. Why don't you look up the silver medalist of the last Olympics, which nobody cares about, but who's obviously a fantastic Mm -hmm. swimmer. And how can you hire that person for an unbelievably cheap dollar amount compared to the gold medalist who beat them by one one hundredth of a second, who can command any dollar amount they want Go to the silver medalist and, and you can do that for, of course, any sport or whatever thing, endeavor that you want to do. But to your specific point of like, you know, you want it for solitude and you want X or Y or Z that's only yelling at you. I look at it as I want to be trained incredibly well by somebody incredibly great at what they do and then left alone so that mm-hmm. I am confident for those next 1000 laps that I swim they're being done in the best manner. So I know that my flip turn is spot on. That I know I'm staying underwater the right amount of time that I'm doing X, Y, and Z, which I can, by the way, relate to. I, I, I think I told a story about my swimming in the book actually. And um, yeah, and that was legit. Like I was a terrible swimmer star, but you know, I, I figured things out over time, but that's not the point of what you're saying is I'm a big believer in being taught by the best how to do things right 
one time by them. Like, this is how you do it and learning and, and, and maybe, you know, having a couple of sessions, but then, you know, being set off into the world and then doing it with the knowledge that I'm implementing their genius as well. I know uh, I talked to Lewis Howes and he's about something and he said that he also, I guess, trained you or helped you out with your webinars, right? And that's a key part of your model. It seems to me your business model is I'm going to do all this stuff for free and then I'm going to give you free training, which happens via email, right? With videos. Yes. And then it's, if you want even more then you pay. And that's, that's the model for everything. I was even surprised to hear that when you were an affiliate of Tony Robbins, instead of telling your audience, I've got Tony Robbins in here, you created a free training with another partner, which then with the screw to nine to five people, you created that free training. And then people who went through it paid, I think even for part of it. And then they, they were upsold on the affiliate. That's the model that you go with. So the model is what can you do? to give people such immense value that they get a real substan- like a substantial result and a substantial great solution to a real problem that they have. But at the same time, they are now ready and, need, and they need that next step. And the great example I give in the book that you've kind of referred to is I teach people for free how to create and launch their podcasts. But as you and I know, when you launch your podcast to the world, it's one of the most exciting moments for podcasters. And now there's two things you really want to do. You want to grow that audience and you want to monetize. And guess what? Here's JLD, the guy that taught you how to create it and how to launch it, who you know, like, and trust because you've seen my videos, you've learned from me, you have this reciprocity built up from all this free value I've given you. And now you want to join my paid community, Podcasters Paradise, to grow your audience and to monetize. And that's why Paradise now has over 6,000 members, over 7 million in revenue, and has been going for eight years in a row. I thought I saw in the book that I highlighted it. I thought I saw that you closed it down. In fact, didn't you, was it something else that you said you closed down? So I've never closed Podcasts Paradise down. What you actually are referring to, I believe, is um, my course I launched because of the idea of Podcasters Paradise, where people were coming to me and saying, John, you're doing live webinars every single week. So Mm -hmm. I want to learn how to podcast, but I also want to learn how to do webinars. So we had a course for four years called Webinar on Fire, which we sold on the back ends. It was like this additional option for people that um, bought Podcasters Paradise, or they could just buy it on their own if they didn't even want to start a podcast. And that was a great revenue stream for us for a lot of years. And then frankly, webinars just became a lot less effective and we didn't want to keep up with the course and keep updating it. So we just let it go. What's effective now? What's working for you? The podcast is absolutely still working for me. I'm doing five days a week now. I did seven days a week for five and a half years. Then I stepped down uh, to do two per week for a while because I was like, I'm ready to do more of like the Andrew Warner deep dive interviews. I was just ready for it. I was excited to do it and, I, and, I, and I'm still doing those, but I'm now just upping my quantity. I went to three days a week and then four days a week. Now I'm at five days a week. I'm just like, I just, I miss talking to more people. So now I'm back up to five days a week. So the podcast is absolutely working. Um, and that's really the main core focus yes. of everything that I do. So I looked at your revenue, even revenue wise, advertising is number one. From podcasting, you didn't see a dip in advertising last year, 2020, or dip in an audience? I saw a dip in audience. I saw a dip in audience. um, And we had a couple of our big sponsors who are with us for a year say, hey, we want to put up our our advertising on pause, you know, back in like Mm -hmm. March and April when everybody was freaking out. And I said, absolutely not. You have a year contract, contract with us. You will stay by that contract or 
you'll be hearing from our legal counsel. Like this wow. is not wow. meant to be mean, but like we trusted you, you trusted us, we're delivering, we're going to keep on delivering on that. And, you know, most of them came back and they're like, John, we get it. We're good. Like we're going to stay, we're going to stay the course. And they're glad they did because, you know, we, we did see a little blip in numbers like most people did, but then we actually saw a bigger increase and we've had our three biggest months, the last, the last consecutive three months, because it does seem like more people are now kind of getting into their new home life flow. And they're just kind of having podcasting be more part of that journey. So, so you're saying downloads have gone up. Downloads have gone. We had our, our three biggest months, the last three months. I sense that maybe you were burning out on on podcasting for a bit there. I think you were even charging people to be on the podcast. Am I right? Still am. You still. So everyone who's on is paying to be on. $3,500. And then how do you keep it from being too promotional from them if they're paying? In the application, which we get 400 inquiries per month to be on the show, in the application for people to apply to be on the show, it very clearly says, this is a podcast that delivers value on your area of expertise. You will be allowed one call to action at the end of the show. And that is it. So every episode is value, 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 sponsor break, value, 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 time to say goodbye, call to action, goodbye. Right. Speaking of sponsor, my first sponsor, (laughs) actually, you know what? It's the first sponsor is an easy one. It's HostGator, um, and I think we can make it work well. But I've got to talk to you about Zopto. I'm kind of struggling to talk about it, and I think I'm going to lose them because I'm not doing a great job. Well, yeah, I, don't I think I'm doing an okay job, but I'd like to do a better job. Here's what they do. You know, like if you wanted to get customers, what you could do is just wait for them to come to you, or you could go to LinkedIn and then find the people who would be ideal customers. Maybe you get their email address and message them, but people aren't opening up their email if they don't know you. If you Apparently, if you send a message on LinkedIn, you get better response. Well, anyway, it takes a long time. They created an automated way to do that. You tell them the type of people you're looking for. Like if you said, I want all CEOs of startups and tech in San Francisco that have at least 100 employees or 50 employees, they'll get it for you. And they send send the first message to them saying, you should be sponsoring entrepreneurs on fire. And then if the person responds, comes to John, John gets a type in or someone on the team and close a sale. That's, that's what they do. That's the software. Here's an extra layer here. <laughs> what do you think so far of where I am with it? I mean, do you want to be honest or you want me yes. to just be positive? <laughs> be honest. Go ahead. I, I need to hear more, but it feels right now like that may be a impersonal um, cold reach out that is also equating into a cold, not even a warm lead. So I need to know how are they making this more personal? Is there a way for me to create an awesome video that they can use in that. So they're already getting a face and voice branding before it comes to my inbox. Uh, you want the, you want it, a video from yourself to the person. Cause you're saying LinkedIn. they're sending a video to the, no, business? they're sorry. They're sending a text. They're sending text messages oh. on LinkedIn to the person. So it would be, Hey, it's John. I saw that you're in San Francisco and maybe a couple of personal things because they do mail merge. If you're interested in hearing about how to sponsor, just hit reply and I'll, I'll let you know about it. Or I think yeah. I can get customers for you. Hit reply. And then as soon as the person hits reply, it goes to you and you can have a real back and forth with them. Hmm. Okay. I would actually maybe even like to say, hey, if you want to learn a little bit more, click here because here's a video hmm. from the founder of the company that, that, that goes into detail for some more context and then, and then hit reply. So like, I would just like to see that one step in there because I've always found in my outbound marketing, that's key. And you know, we can even- A little more that. explanation and then hit reply only for the people who are really getting in. Right. right. All right. 
let me say this for anyone out there who's listening. If this is something that you're interested in, go to Mixergy.com slash Zopto, see a demo video. That's Z-O-P-T-O, where you'll see a demo video. And, um, and well, so much more that I could talk about there. You can even see like, <laughs> if they've been on the site, you send them a message on LinkedIn without saying specifically creepily, I saw you on my site, but it's kind of like, hey, it's <laughs> like this could be a good fit just when they're thinking about it. All right. I won't go into the list of features, but I'm grateful to them for sponsoring Mixergy.com slash Zopto. Zopto. Yeah, man. Um, when, when, uh, what's your sales process for advertising? Is it wait for people to come to you? That's, that's been pretty effective for entrepreneurs. So I wait for people to come to me. I get a lot of inbound um, requests of people that come and, you know, frankly, our income reports um, do a lot of that because people see that, oh, this guy gets a lot of money from podcast sponsors. Obviously, his show must be effective. And then they use a contact form. They reach out to us and then we send them the rate card. And they're like, oh, we can't afford that. And that's fine. But you know, some people can. Um, I use a lot of podcast uh, broker uh, sponsor brokers. Um, I, by the way, just kind of a side note, I'd be happy to introduce you to a fantastic company. They're called Red Circle. I have no I affiliation know. with them, but they've been sending me fantastic sponsors. They're awesome. Um, they're doing some really cool things in the podcast space. Um, and I just have a couple of sponsors who have been with me for so long. Like ZipRecruiter has been a sp- uh, an annual sponsor, six episodes a month for 12 months at a time for five years now. It's like insane. And I have a couple other sponsors just like that as well. So even though I have five episodes per week now, like my inventory is almost sold out for all of 2021. Wow. I, um, I don't know Red Circle. Obviously, no zip recruiter. I've heard them a lot. Um, and maybe we should be checking them, uh, checking them out. Or go to the Indeed is like their competitor. So you just go to Indeed and say, hey, zip recruiter just wants to sponsor my show. But before I give it to them, like, do you want to do a counter offer and just play them off each other? They'll love it. Because there's so much money in recruiting that high ticket item products do well with my, with my audience, right? A huge one right now is BetterHelp too. I think you do good in, mm. with, the, with that company because of our PTSD conversation. <laughs> yeah, I remember talking to the founder of BetterHelp, just asking him basically to justify how therapy could be done by mobile. And really, in retrospect, of course, it could be done even better by mobile. Better. And they, by the way, they're the number one podcast sponsor in the world. I didn't realize that. You go to yeah. them directly or are you using... Uh, you know, you, well, no, we've never been sponsored by them. I don't think they'd be a great fit for me specifically um, for my podcast. So I, we don't like go after companies really like that. Um, we kind of have our sweet spot. Like ZipRecruiter is awesome for that reason in other companies. But um, there's a report uh, by a great uh, podcast newsletter called Pod News, which every podcaster should be subscribed to. And they just recently sent out the report of like the top 10 uh, podcast sponsors and BetterHelp was number one. Makes sense. I have been hearing them a lot and it does, it's just of the moment so much. All right. So the first thing is that that's how you sell it. Let's talk a little bit about um, your research process. I... I've found that I go so deep in the research that I could go mental with it. I have to limit myself. What's your process? Do you do research on guests? Zero minutes in zero seconds. And I don't say that like out of pride. I say that like out of necessity, because when I launched a daily podcast, I said, if I'm committing to doing seven interviews a week, I've got to find a way to either do very efficient and quick or potentially no research whatsoever. And I opted with the latter. And I said, if this isn't working out, I'll have to adjust and f- figure out another way. And for 3000 plus episodes, it's just worked out. And you know what, what I say to myself and I'm, I'm, you know, I know I'm kidding myself in some ways, Andrew, but I say to myself, Hey, 
when I when I come to the interviews incredibly unprepared um, with knowledge about the guest, it makes me curious at like my my um, listeners are. And so I ask the question that my listeners want to be asking themselves because I'm not, I'm not cursed with the curse of knowledge that I do know a lot of people have. And when they're talking, they just, they know the answers. So they don't ask them. They assume everybody knows. And it's called the curse of knowledge for a reason. And so I don't have the curse of knowledge. I am basically clueless about every guest that I bring on. I, I literally, right before I bring them on, I read their 30 word bio and that's all I know about them. And then I bring them on and we just talk. How do you know, by the way, I, I clearly have a different approach to it. I was going yes. mental. I, I said, Olivia, we can't talk. I've got I've to finish John's book. And the reason that I do it the night before or the day of, usually I would do it right. the day of, but I had too much. The reason I do it is because Dude, I would then go down every rabbit hole possible research-wise. I actually do work with a coach who has to tell me set timers to stop like going off on these research uh, hunts. Yeah, the Pomodoro um, method, it works. Yeah, it, it helps. Um, yeah, I do it on my Apple Watch. I just hit the five-minute thing. I promise myself only five minutes and it's such a vibrate like crazy. And I go, <laughs> all right, another five minutes. And then I stop. What about... Um, staying in touch with your audience. I feel like that's always a challenge for me. And I think you called me out on that for your um, yeah. it, it podcasters paradise, the cruise. Is that yeah. what it was called? Yes. The, where you said, Andrew, you're so deep in the world of your interviewees, but you're not nearly enough with your audience. And I do work to do that, but I, I could see that it's a big challenge, especially now during COVID where I can't get into, into their lives. What do you do to see what they need? So I'm the opposite of you. Like I'll spend almost no time, literally zero time uh, researching my guests, but I'll spend so much unscalable time, like talking, literally talking and conversing back and forth with my audience, with my listeners. How? Um, I'm always asking for it via email, via social media. Whenever people reach out to me and say, you know, love the show, enjoy this, enjoy that. I'm always like, can we jump on a Skype call? They're like, wait, what? This isn't like John. Out of the blue, you'll jump on a Skype call with them. All the time. All the time. Because I have four questions that I flipping love asking these individuals. Okay. So I love jumping on calls to them. And if they don't want to jump on a call, which some people don't, I get it. I just send them the four questions and say, well, can you just respond to these? Like, What are the four you? questions? Number one, I always ask, how did you find out about my show? Okay. And it doesn't matter if they've listened for five years. I want to know how they first were led to my show so I can amplify the things that actually work. Then I ask them number two, what do you like about the show? Just so I can understand what they actually like. Cause people are vague. Oh, great show yesterday. But what was great? What actually was great about the show? Cause the whole show was not great. What did you love? And I start to understand what really people get. And like for a great example of this is a lot of people say, John, I love when after that guest is done talking, you turn to the audience, like you break down the third wall and you say fire nation here are the biggest takeaways I want to make sure you get from what Andrew just shared. I did that just a couple of times on interviews, not every one, but like I got so much feedback when I asked that question from my listeners. I'm like, I'm going to do this on every interview. And then like the comments kept even growing and growing now that I was doing it all the time. And now that is literally a cemented part of my show. And like people love that. And then number three, I ask people, what don't you like about my show? And when I hear somebody give me something they don't like about the show, I essentially ignore it, but I remember it. And if I get a, cause it could be an anomaly is my point on that. Right. Right. But right, then right. I get, 
if I get a theme of people like kind of saying they don't like certain things about the show over and over again, then I'll take action. And then, and frankly, I actually had that um, happen kind of recently, which I, I could talk about. Yeah. And what was la- that? Okay. What? So I always started my show for hundreds of episodes with the question, um, tell me something about yourself that most people don't know. And frankly, it was cool. I got a lot of great feedback about that at first. And like, people were like, this is neat. I'm going to know something about these different people. And frankly, like most things, you know, that question had an expiration date and it just kind of became mm-hmm. a little old. And like, people are just like, okay, I'm hearing kind of the same thing a lot. Like, you know, whatever, you know, everything has, everybody has something different, but felt the same. And I started getting people commenting on that more than more than once. And I was like, oh, you know what? They're right. And so I came up with a new question that I now ask, which is pretty interesting is, what is something that you believe about success or about becoming successful that most people disagree with? So I really want to put people on the spot to be contrarian because I love being a contrarian. I love playing devil's advocate. Like I love when I'm on panels because, you know, yeah. Like, Conference, there's such love fests. It was like, oh, I love what he just said. I love what she just said. I could not agree more is people's favorite phrase, which I yeah. hate that phrase. When people say, I cannot agree more, I'm like, do you have your own in- individual mind, please? And so, like, when I'm on a panel, I am on a mission to disagree with as many people as I can on that. Not even because I necessarily disagree with them, because I want to disagree and start up an interesting conversation. And people are floored. They're like, what? Like, what is this? What are you doing? I'm like, actually having a fun conversation now. Oh man, Tucker Max does that really well, by the way. A little shout out to Tucker Max. I saw him do that to Tyler. David Hanmeyer, David Hanmeyer Hansen does that too. That I remember he came on, he said, Andrew, I'm sick and I could still do the interview. This is the founder of Basecamp. And I said, I don't mind that he's sick because I know he's going to be good. And I also knew he was going to disagree, but I didn't think how fast he would do it. I remember introducing it saying, hey, this is Andrew founder of Mixergy, home of the ambitious upstart. He goes, I hate ambition. I hate ambitious people. <laughs> um, I swear, awesome. you can go see it in the transcript. How are you doing time-wise? I know that you're really uh, deep. I got your a calendar. solid eight minutes. Okay. If that feels right. <laughs> I mean, so, we booked for an hour. That'll be an hour. How do you, uh, how do you inter, when you, how do you interrupt your day when you're so driven by the calendar to get on calls with, with, with your listeners. That's been a real pain for me. Yeah. You know, I make it a priority and I'm not always in this kind of back-to-back book promotion mode that I'm in now. In a normal world, which is not these current three months and I'm in book promotion mode, I, uh, I work five days a month. I work incredibly hard those five days. My schedule's insane. And then I work very lightly, you know, email, social media, a couple things, you know, the other 25 days in the month. Um, but I have time. I got time. I'm hanging out by the pool. I'm asking the questions. I'm jumping on calls. So just I'll do the, voice. The random times like that, that's when you're reaching out to people. And by the way, in the book, you just talk about how the way yeah. you were able to figure out what to sell your audience was through these kinds of conversations. They turns out they weren't necessarily interested in being like your guests. They wanted to be like you. You said, all right, let's teach them how to create podcasts. That's how the business happened. And you go through the process of understanding. I think you said you had 100 people who are willing to pay you to be in part in the community. I'm kind of doing this because I promised I would go through some kind of order here and talk a little okay. bit about the book. To close the loop though, real quick, because yes. we have to, is the fourth question I ask is, oh, thanks. to your point, what you were just talking about is, what is your biggest struggle right now? Mm. Which got me the answer to everything that Andrew just shared. Like that's how I got that answer of what my audience wanted. And that's how I created all the products and all the services I created. None of them came here. They all came from that question. What's the problem? All right, let me close it out with the book. 
when you're working, as you said, a few days, four or five days a month, how are you sitting down and getting yourself to write? I think you said at one point, I, I force myself to sit one hour a day for, but in that eight one months. hour, what is it? For eight months in a row. For eight months, one hour a day. In that hour, how do you get productive in that moment? The beauty of doing an interview is we're recording. I can't not be productive. I have to talk. <laughs> but if I have to sit down and write, it's a freaking nightmare. And it would have been for me too. And it was, and I had to like get to a point where it wasn't because I wasn't used to it. But after like a week of forcing myself to sit there and stare at a blank screen, like you start to kind of break down some of these walls. And I did the method that we talked briefly about, about 20 minutes ago is the Pomodoro method. Mm -hmm. I set my timer for 42 minutes. That's just my crazy number that I came up with. And I pressed start and I watched the first two seconds tick down. And then I said, I have 41 minutes and 56 seconds to write. And I just started writing and I started writing and that was it. And that got me to 71,000 words in 480 writing hours. Cause I'm a crazy person that tracks stuff like this. And it's a 273 page meaty business book that apparently Andrew Warner read in a couple hours. <laughs> And it follows a logical progression. If anything, frankly, I would have I would have assumed that somebody else had written it, except the video that you sent me was so hyper like aware that you needed to say, I wrote this book. It's not a I marketing wrote, thing. I pro yeah, not, there you no. go. <laughs> the one time you every single word. That. Yeah. Uh-huh. Let's oh. talk about that for a second because I think this is on topic. Um okay. is I do things that don't scale when it matters, like those conversations with my audience, because when you do things that don't scale, all of a sudden, things and ideas you get, those things become scalable. So I sent Andrew a four-minute personal video to let him know that, A, he matters to me. I'm not just sending a blast email that he's a part of. He's a friend. I respect him. I like him. I know him. I trust him. And I love his platform. I love what he's built. And I don't take it lightly if I would be able to come on and talk about whatever and maybe mention the book, if it makes sense, like that would be meaningful. It was a personal four minute video. I did 300 of those videos on average, four minutes long. You can do the math weeks of just doing those videos, because I know that doing those things that don't scale are so meaningful. And there's a reason why I got an 85% response rate from the top 300 influencers I reached out to opposed to like, a 5% response rate because it was personal and it hit people to the core that I, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. I ended up buying 12 freaking books. I, I, yeah, right? I emailed Andrea. I said, can you, I, I said, I don't even want to deal with the site. Andrea, please take my credit card, buy 12 books because of the video. All right. And of course we had you on here. You have a URL. Why aren't you sending people to Amazon? Everyone buys books on Amazon. So What's that URL on? does send people to Amazon, but you know, I'm a smart business guy. Like Tell I want to show you what the bonuses are first. I want to collect your email address first. <laughs> you can go to Amazon if you want. The Common Path on Common Success. It's on there. John Lee Dumas, whatever you Wait, search what's the, for. What's the URL? Let's be clear about the it. The URL is uncommonsuccessbook.com. You'll get to see my beautiful endorsements from Seth Godin, who does not give out endorsements easily. No. <laughs> Gary Vaynerchuk, uh, Neil Patel, Eric and Mandy, Dory Clark. You'll see all five of the bonuses there, which are insane. You mentioned the Freedom Journal earlier. This is something we can, if we had more time, we could talk about. But dude, I'm sending the Freedom Mastery and Podcast Journal to everybody's doorstep who buys one copy of this book. I'm losing money on every single pre-order. Because? It's not the point. The, this is not a financial play for me. Like finances, good, done, in the bank. 
This is get this flipping book in people's hands because I am positive this is going to change people's lives. And this is not some flaky, you know, like author saying this. This is like me not being able to write a book for 10 years because I didn't have a book to write. Now I cannot wait for people to actually be able to apply these 17 step roadmap to get to where they need to be. All right. And if we go to uncommonsuccessbook.com, you're first getting our contact information and then letting us know that if we buy it, I guess we're buying it on Amazon, you're going to give us all these bonuses. A book, if we, uh, the journal, if we get one, but what am I getting? I don't even know what I'm getting for 12. Guys, if you're curious, go to uncommonsuccessbook.com. I am flying you first class to Puerto Rico. You are staying in Wait, did I get 12? (laughs) Am I coming to Puerto Rico? First class me for free. I, I know. I didn't even buying, need to do now it. Now I'm buying a first class flight for you. Of course I'm kidding. <laughs> but listen, you are coming, I hope, to Puerto Rico at some point. I'd love to come to Puerto Rico. Now you're making me think maybe that's where we should go and hide for COVID. All right. Thank you so much for being on here. I want to thank the two sponsors who made this interview happen. The first that actually got its mention, it's Zopto. If you want to see this, go watch a video at Mixergy.com slash Zopto. John just made a dance for them. This is the type of stuff you get when you buy sponsorship at Mixergy, a dance from the guest. And number two, didn't get much of an ad. I will uh, not charge us against, I will not charge them for it, but I will tell you, listen, go when you need a website hosted, go to hostgator.com slash Mixergy. They'll do WordPress, any number of other platforms and do it right inexpensively. And when you throw that slash Mixergy at the end, you get a pat on the back to old Andrew for sending you over there and you get a great price from them better than they usually offer hostgator.com slash Mixergy. John, I know you live by your calendar. Get out of here. Adios.